0: Welcome everyone to the Gaming Couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smartboy. Hello everyone. Uh, First off, I'd like to apologize. Yes, I know I didn't do any posting last Sunday. I didn't even give an update or anything. Uh, Honestly, it was just kind of one of those... Almost really needed breaks. Like I was sitting down. I was thinking about, I'm like, I got nothing in my mind. I got not a lot of energy in me to go through and even do like an update post. It's just the beginning of the school year has been very busy. And I've been very tired, staying late many days and doing week working on weekends and stuff like that. It's been kind of hectic. So I took off just, you know, for myself last Sunday. And then that's why there was nothing up. That's why I didn't do any updates or anything like that. But rest assured, I want to do my best and keep on the schedule uh, from now on. And then if anything does come up, I just, you know, do a quick update. So, again, I apologize for last Sunday. If there's any way I can make it up to you, please let me know. All right? Because, you know, it's what I want to do. I owe my listeners something for bailing last week unannounced. All right? Let's get into this week now. So one of the things that I've been thinking about recently it's like one of the reasons why also i didn't do a, a post last week i've been playing a new game recently came out on the 25th of september should memory serve right and that's Val- valkyrie valkyrie chronicles 4 I, I always struggled with the name it's like the it's one of the key things in the games and i have always struggled with the names Val- valkyrie chronicles 4 i want to say it's valkyrie the reason why i it, it's kind of made it a little bit of a struggle for me to do an episode. It's, I'm so conflicted over the game. Like, I know why I'm conflicted over it, but it's trying to put it into words is difficult. At least put it into words that'll flow and make sense, if you catch my drift. You know, so I can get the drive the point home about why I'm so conflicted and slightly upset with this newest installment. So, first off, I think I, I need to make it clear that I never played the second or the third game. I only played the first game when I found it on Steam, and I'm playing through the fourth game because it was on Steam. I never played the second or the third game because I just didn't have a platform for it. I think it was PlayStation only, and well, I didn't own a PlayStation 2, 3, or whatever. I only own a PS1. So, I never had a chance to play around with 2 or 3. Not a big deal, I think. You know, I got enough going for me with Valkyrie Chronicles 1 to think about the comparison to form. That's where I want to start, is the first game, why I was drawn to it so much compared to the fourth game. Now, anyone who's played it kind of gets an idea of how the battle system works. I like the uniqueness of how they set up the battle system. Now, the AI was never known for its brilliant tactics, and it's supposed to be like a war game. I think it's a little more of puzzle-focused, I feel. Like, it's not as much strategy to kind of counter the strategy of your opponent more of a puzzle of what's the best way to complete the objective to get the best ranking because the ai is pretty straightforward for what it does and as soon as like the battle kind of like turns in your favor you could say like you start to like take out some enemy units they do very little try and push back so i like to think of it a little more as like a puzzle than a, a strategy but that's fine I, it's great no matter what it's definitely enjoyable especially the way the classes is mixed together and everything in the game the more important part to the game the first one was the characters you know the story was kind of like a pseudo world war ii inspired game so it did definitely had elements of world war ii in there where you're just a little country fighting against the empire which is pretty much the axes like the germans slash russians of the time i guess you could say you know just like the the opposing superpowers and you're trying to fight back they did well handling that kind of stuff. And they also touched on some sensitive war subjects. Like, there was definitely racism in there. They had the whole Dark Sin Rays, which is pretty much kind of like the Jews or any other hated or oppressed group of people at of, of the time. You were going through the motion of all that. And there was a motion of loss and mourning and stuff like that, you know, during wartimes. And one of the most Im- impactful scenes in the game, I talked about in a very early on episode, was the moment that Isara died you know, she is shot and killed, and then you spend almost a whole chapter in the game mourning the loss of her, both you and the characters, like, there's plenty of time to show, like, this is what it's like to lose someone you dearly care about, and you feel it, like, it impacts you as a player, too, because you know her just like the characters know her, and you're trying to sort through all these feelings and everything of losing her, and at the end of the game, you know, there's kind of, like, a conclusion to it, like, you're, you're a piece of her death, and then very end when I think it was Leon comes flying in with the plane she was working on to save Welkin and Alicia and he's all like yeah I I did this you know for her and her memory and everything and Welkin's all like you know at peace with it and you feel the same thing like you feel happy that this has happened and the plane was completed in her honor and all that kind of stuff like I won't go into any more details of the rest of the game until I need to the game took time and that's what's really important here is the first game took time to move through everything. The fourth game, on top of the ridiculous, like, mind-numbing stuff they put in it, it doesn't take time to sort through everything. And I'm trying to find where to start. I think the best place to start is the villains. Let's start there. That's the best place to start in taking time. So in the first game, you were introduced to the main four villains near the start of the game, there was a cutscene that kind of introduced all of them and kind of showed how they interacted with one another each other and their various feelings and opinions on everything. You kind of got that early on. And then from there, there were some cutscenes here and there that showed them interacting with one another, you know, sprinkled into the main story, so you saw it from the Empire's point of view. And then when it came to combat, you rarely saw them on the field. And when you did, shit got real. Like, there was a reason why, you know, the top lieutenant or one of these big, bad leader people is showing up to the battlefield, things got serious really fast. And I think the exception being Jaeger, when you first fight him near the beginning of the game, you don't encounter any of the Empire's leaders until after their introduction and after some time has passed for you to get to know them and understand them. Gregor's kind of the exception to that because he dies pretty early on in the game. Still, though, you have some time to get to know him a little bit. All right, Now, I'm going to say this right now because I didn't say it earlier, but I think it's obvious at this point, you know, spoilers fucking everywhere for the first and the fourth game. First game I'm not so worried about because it's been years, but the fourth game just coming out recently, spoilers fucking everywhere. So if you're worried about spoilers, get out now before I go any further in this. And if you've already played the game and you want to hear my opinion, feel free to listen. If you have to play the game you don't give a shit about spoilers, stay and listen, obviously. So that's out of the way. Now, back to the point I was making, the villains in the first game, it took time to kind of understand them, and also to understand their motives, too. Like, Maximilian had a lot of things going on, but everything in the game tied back to his ultimate motive of, like, pseudo-Valkyrie status and using magical weaponry to take over everything, including the Empire, because he was, like, a bastard son or something like that, and he was, you know, pissed off and had mommy issues. In the end, no matter what, everything came back to his motives, and it all made sense. Now, the villains in the fourth game, their motives don't tie in together. They all have different motives. And what sucks is that out of the shitshow villains that they have, the coolest villain is wasted. So there's, I think his name is Wals, W-A-L-Z, I think that's how I it. it's how announced. it, is like Wells, something like that. He's, a, he's another tank commander. He's essentially the Jaeger of the fourth game. He is a tank commander. Now, that sounds awesome, because Jaeger was a fucking boss in the first game, and I loved him as a villain. I loved interacting with him. However, you don't interact with Wiles that much. Your first encounter with him, you don't even know who he is. He just shows up at a pivotal conflict at the Siegwald line, which is a major combat. It's probably one of the coolest fights in the entire game, because it's the first time, like, you're out on the big scene in this major war, and it feels real. And, like, it's a three-part battle you go through. He shows up there without any introduction beforehand. He's obviously introduced right there, and then he shows up and you have to fight him. Now, what sucks there is I have yet to get to know who this guy is. You know, this villain just shows up, and now I have to fight him, and he's a take commander. Okay, who is this guy? Now, with Jaeger, yeah, he kind of did that at the start, but there's a little bit of a cutscene before he showed up in the battle, so you kind of got to know who he was. And then... Immediately after fight, there was another cutscene with him and the rest of the Empire that you kind of got to see, like, oh, that's who he was. With this guy, there is no cutscene. Like, you fight him, you beat him, he does a whole, like, oh, well, you beat me this time, and leaves. And then that's it. We don't hear from him in a cutscene at all. It's just this guy just kind of showed up and then left. Okay, weird. And then not much longer, doesn't take much longer, he shows up again and you fight him again. And all you know is that he's a major hard-on for Wallace and calls him his soulmate because, you know, Wallace was the first one to give him any real challenge. Okay, that's that's cool. I like the chemistry they have going on there, but there's nothing that drives me into feeling that this guy is my soulmate in a sense, like, my my adversary. Like, that's what they're pushing for, is that he's your adversary and you are his adversary. I don't feel that like because I fight him again all of a sudden when HQ's being burned down, but there wasn't any development of his character like i didn't really see much in the way of cutscenes to develop his character until then and then the before i get into the biggest crime against humanity here the problem is we have so many characters and so many different interactions going on that it's hard to give him as a villain the proper screen time he needs to build up this con this idea of adversary and being almost tied to him because essentially you are because he always shows the game is you know it shows that he's my adversary i'm always fighting him but the problem is since i'm always fighting him one i know his tactics i know how to beat him and two he doesn't feel all that special if i'm fighting him every like three missions i fight him it it doesn't matter who he is because i'm just i'm used to him it's numb at this point there's nothing special about him jaeger when jaeger showed up he only showed up like Three or four times, I want to say, including the final fight with him. So when it reached that pivotal moment of fighting him head-to-head, and he's like, there's no retreat at this point, I have to defeat you here. It felt serious, because I rarely fought him before, and he also modified his tank for the final fight. So I was like, okay, I kind of had an idea of who he was, but now he's changed himself a little bit to add some difficulty to it. Wells never does this. And then, like I was saying before, but the big crime against humanity, this will lead into something else later. The third time he shows up is in a cutscene. This is finally like an actual lengthy cutscene with him. But the issue is, it's a party crashing cutscene. You hit this moment where it's a very pivotal moment that someone special dies, and it is a heart-wrenching scenario where the commander of the squad is crying out in pain, mourning the loss of pretty much everyone she ever knew because her entire squad was wiped out. And now she's blaming, not necessarily you, but you know Wallace, the character you're in control of. She's blaming him because he showed up late, and if he didn't show up late, there would have been a chance to save everyone. So this is a heart wrench. Think of like when Isara died. It's similar to that, like the squad that was wiped out. You didn't know them that well, but it's still this heart wrenching moment of Minerva, who is their commander, mourning the loss of so many people, and it hurts so much to watch. And in the middle, standing there, thinking like. Like Squad E, you know, Wallace's squad who you're in charge of, they're sitting there like, yeah, it's it, – it, like they're thinking, was it really our fault? Like if we got here sooner, could we have turned the tide of the battle? Wallace just shows up out of fucking nowhere in the middle of her crying in pain, in the middle of the music starting up and tearing at your heartstrings. This guy just fucking shows up and it's like, dude, I already fought you twice. I don't know who you are. Why are you here? We're in the middle of something important. And then, no, you don't fight him because immediately when he shows up, the fucking ships, which is actually a really cool concept of the game, the Navy that you're supposed to team up with suddenly shows up and blows him to bits, and then he just up and disappears, and you board the Navy, the ship, and you're gone. All that happened in a minute. So there's so many emotions going on here. There's the hope the Navy showing up like... The Navy showing up means we have a chance to win this war, and we have a chance to beat the Empire. On, So he just shows up randomly and then disappears suddenly because they get blasted away by the Navy. Not dead, but he, just, he retreats suddenly. You don't even see the retreat. He's like, oh shit, cannon fire. Boom. Okay, he's gone. He's just gone. And then right before he shows up, we are like bleeding our hearts out over seeing so many dead. I don't know where it goes from there. It's hard to see where the game goes from there. When it comes to mourning the loss of Squad F, which, again, you weren't a part of Squad F, but Minerva, who was their leader, she's in a lot of cutscenes interacting with Wallace, the main character. So you kind of for her a little bit for what she's going through, but you rarely see any screen time from her after that to interact with her and have her go through the motions. She, you know, she says it, and you know that she still hates Squad E, and she still hates Wallace, and will never forgive them, because they showed up late we fully get that it's clear cut to us and that's it. There's nothing else going on to mourn anything else like that. The only closure we get is much, I mean, much chapters upon chapters later where her tank commander, who's one of the only other survivors of squad F has a moment with squad E and he finally comes to terms and, you know, agrees like, yeah, what happened was terrible, I need to move on, though, because I want to defeat the Empire, you want to defeat the Empire, and our only chance is to work together. Like, there is a little bit of mourning there, and it is kind of a heartfelt moment. Like, you know, my heart feels a little bit for Ronald because he's finally going through the motions of mourning the loss of his comrades, chapters upon chapters later. You know, when in the first game, mourning the loss of Isar happened right away, and the characters went through the motion of it, and then it was still felt like, you know, chapters later, there'd be, like, a little mention of her, and they'd be, you know, everyone kind of, like, like, would wince a little bit, because they're still going through the motions, and it worked, because we had the major moment, the major cutscene of Asara dying, we got to go through that, and then we got to kind of live with that for a little bit, the characters got to live with that. In the fourth game, the death of Squad F pretty much meant fucking nothing. And it's insulting, because it's supposed to represent... This game has a representation of war, especially World War II, and the first game did that very well, and the fourth game's taking place at the same time, and we felt Isara's death. We felt that impact. But Squad F... uh, The impact that much with what happened, because of how congested the scene is of you seeing them dead, and you seeing Minerva on her knees crying out in pain. Now, Minerva, up to this point, was a very strong lead character. Like, she was a top lieutenant in him, and she shows it. Like, you know, she shows her tactics. She shows her authority. She really shows that she's pushing for this win, and she shows that strength. And anyone tells you that, yeah, all squad F fully respects her. So we, we know who she is. And now to see her suddenly break down hurts, because this is Minerva, the characters in the game, like, mentally. She's a very strong character, and she's breaking. And then it just ends suddenly. And then we never really see her go through the motions of mourning the loss or her comments ever again. The next chapter, there's a little bit of, like, her kind of just, like, being mad. But then she does the honorable thing and says, like, yeah, I'm still mad. And she admits, it's like, yeah, I'm still mad. I'm never going to forgive you. I fucking hit your guts, Wallace. But I'm with you now, and I need to work with you if we're going to win. It was a quick open and close kind of case for her going through the loss of her squad. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat at horse anymore. Like that was it's a terrible cutscene. It really hurts the game overall. Going back to this idea of you know having too many characters, we get into side characters. Now, Squad Seven in the first game, every character you recruit for Squad Seven is unique in their own way. And what worked there is it was a militia, so every character kind of had some quirks in the militia because they're just a ragtag group of people just that came together. And it worked. And the characters interact with each other in combat. Like, they, you know, if they worked well with somebody, they'd call out their name. Or when, you know, they were rescuing a good friend of theirs, they, you know, they'd plead with the medic to, oh, save their life and everything. You kind of like felt there was some relationship there. And then if you read their bios and the glossary, you got a little more information. And it it worked. And we just ran with that. And it was cool. It was, it worked just fine. The fourth game, they give more depth to these side characters. They're not the main characters, they're just, they're Squad E. They're characters that have permadeaths, so think of, like, Fire Emblem, you know. They go down, they're down for the count, they're dead forever. It's the same concept as the first game, but now there are what they do is squad stories. And there'll be three squaddies, you know, from Squad E, three squad members that develop a relationship, and then there's cutscenes involving them. And it's kind of cool, actually. Like, the the squad members you have, they develop a little more character than they did in the first game. What's off-putting about is like these are like this is the military. It's not a militia. This is like the trained, hardened military, trained, hardened soldier. Like Teresa is adorable, but she lets this whole joke of being like wanting to do an open dissection and amputation of um, Jester gets a little out of hand. Like, okay, she's supposed to be on the in the military, a little more disciplined than this. Like the court's getting a little bit too much in the way. And then at least for combat, each squad story has a mission. Now, in terms of Ronald, going back to him, the tank commander from Squad F, the squad story he's a part of, he, his squad story involves two veteran members in Squad E. And it's a little skirmish that you do, that he kind of comes to terms with Squad E, and Minerva talks to him a little bit, and he's kind of like, okay, I'm coming to terms with this. And then some of the other ones, like with um, Millennia and these two others, I think it's, uh, who is it, Raida and who else was it, Brittany, I think. The three of them, and this happens in a couple other squad stories. Oh, their squad story was Millennia got upset, so she ran off. And now they're in HQ, keep in mind. Like, she's in HQ, she gets some news, she gets it, and she runs off. She somehow just stumbles across an active battlefield. And then now you're just in the middle of this this hellhole fight. Like, she was just at HQ. You're telling me there's a fight, like, really close to HQ that no one cares about? Or did she just run 20 miles away from HQ and get caught in an active war zone? It doesn't line up narratively with what's happening. And then the other ones that don't involve, like, Active war zones, like oh, we're just having a, a training mission. Suddenly, it's like, why not just have cutscenes? Like, just develop the characters a little bit through a optional cutscene, which what it is, and that's cool. And that's what they did in the first game. is the main characters, like Rosie, Largo, and the others, there were some special missions, but the missions actually had major impact. Like Rosie coming to terms with her racism, and now she's leading a small group to take out a hunting party who's trying to hunt down and kill darksins. Largo is taking out a small convoy that is actually blocking the routes to farmers to feed the soldiers. That makes sense. So those character stories were optional, but they developed the characters a little further, and the missions meant something. These squad stories, most of the missions don't seem to really mean anything besides we're just having a chance for these three to get closer to each other. And it breaks up the story. Like You don't have to watch them. You don't have to go through them, but since they give such great rewards, like the character is suddenly really powerful. Like, one of the engineers gets an ability where he has a chance to, after repairing a tank, he does a major repair and he heals almost all its health, and he can just go again. Instead of wasting another AP to activate him or CP to activate him, he just goes again. Like, that's a great ability. I want to do his side story to unlock that. The side story just gets shoved in there, though. It's a little upsetting that they're trying to cram all this information and all this character backstory into this whole idea of war it gets too much to handle the first game it did little stories here and there that developed and felt natural but here we have so many different characters going on there's so much story developing in Squady that the villains don't get their time to shine so that when it comes to you actually fighting walls and killing him i just you know just recently today of this recording like two hours ago i did the mission where i end up fighting walls and he died and I didn't know that was going to happen until the very end when, the cut, when he played a cutscene in-game. He's like, well, this is the end. You know, one of us is going to live. One of us is going to die. So let's just, let's just go. And he's really calm about it, which was really cool. But what sucked was, one, I killed him in one turn. Because I knew how, like, how he played and there was nothing new about him at this point, I was like, okay, I'm going to take my tank. I'm going to take my grenadier, who is built with anti-armor. And I'm going to take a lancer. In one turn, boom, he's done, operation complete. And then his death scene, where the other commanders in the first game had a cutscene dedicated to them where something's going on. And like Jaeger had this really emotional scene where he realizes what he's been fighting for was wrong and he walks off into the flames and says, Pretend I'm dead. And the few soldiers are left that are part of the empire, like, You know, where are you going, sir? And he's just like, I'm done. Tell them I died. And he leaves. Walls just, his tank blows up and then he's just dead. Okay. And then all of. Squatty, it's like oh that's what it was like to ha-. like they're like oh that's what it was like to have a an adversary you know he fought hard and he really gave us trouble here and there but I'm like but I really didn't know who this guy was cuz I just kept fighting him didn't really feel anything about it cuz he was just another guy i had to fight i was used to his tactics and i just killed him in one turn like he didn't prove to be a challenge like at the very end when it counted there really was no challenge to him and when it came to developing his character the little bit of screen time he got when he started to get more screen time, he was actually a really cool villain. And he became very, like, empathetic. Like you could actually relate to him a little bit with the way he felt about a few things. It was like, I kind of understand where Walls is coming from. And he becomes a lot more emotional. And he kind of actually falls for uh, Chimer- Crimera, who's one of the other people in the Empire of Valkyrie. He actually kind of falls for her. And at first it seems a very, like, I guess forced relationship between the two of them. But watching it develop, it was actually very heartwarming. It's like she is a misunderstood being who's being abused by her superiors, and he's just a tank commander. He's like, No, I actually care for you. And at first, she tries to shove him away, and then eventually, she welcomes him in, and their relationship starts to blossom. And it's, it's rather nice that it's it's kind of like the point of the game is like, you know, in the middle of war, you know, love finds a way and people find hope and stuff like that. And it's pushed from the Empire, from the villain's perspective, it gets kind of pushed and it's beautiful to see. And then right after that cutscene of them two actually like with her embracing him, like he goes to put his arms around her and she actually welcomes it and she feels comfortable around him. She doesn't say it, but you can see it and you can feel like she's welcoming the first person who ever cared for her and it's so emotional and right after that scene happens is when you fight him and he dies and then of course she gets pissed off and then you have to fight her and then you end up killing her right afterwards and it sucks because now that the two of the main villains finally had some screen time to them they just that's it it's over you know Sylvaria in the first game you know she was a valkyrie also And she got screen time here and there, and you started to develop her character where she felt the same way as Cromera. She kind of felt a little most understood, but she devoted herself to Maximilian because Maximilian saved her from this research facility, and she devoted her life to him. And we kind of saw that blossom. And then there was a level of also respect that was fostered for her. Like, Walls, it shows that he kind of respects his adversary. The few times we see him in cutscenes, it shows that. Well, Severia had more time to develop that to the point that yeah, she might have been a Valkyrie, but when you actually went up against her, which the few times you fought before her, beforehand against her, she, you know, she used her full force powers. When you actually go to take her down, finally, she says, "No, I refuse to use my powers. I will fight you as a human," and it it shows how powerful she is as a character that she understands her power and she's like, "No." I'm going to let this stand. I'm going to stand and fight you as a human. And it really developed her character strongly. Like, it, she went from not weak, but kind of like vulnerable and needing support. And she developed that into her own idea that, you know, Maximilian's not around. I'm fighting for his cause, but I'm going to fight it on my own terms. Crimeria as she starts to, she's a very weak character. Like, she's shown emotionally unstable. And it's understanding why, because she's been experimented on her entire life, and people see her as nothing but a tool or a weapon. So she needs that support. And when Wallace finally gives her that support, she doesn't have enough time to develop into a strong female lead. So Varia does. And then when you take her down, she waits for Squad 7 to leave. And then once they leave and they're out of range, she asks, you know, she's talking to the commander of the army. She's like, Are they clear? And he's like, Yeah, why? She's like, Okay. And then goes nuclear and blows up everyone who was very who she didn't care about you know the rest of the gallia military who treated frankly treated squad seven of the militia like shit so i'm like you know i kind of happy with what you know she's kind of of cool what she did i'm not happy that most of the military is dead because we kind of need them however the way they went down it's like the villain was showing us respect and it developed that relationship for us and then when she goes nuclear and welkin sees that he's like holy shit what was that and everyone's like i think she just blew up and everyone's like God damn, like first we lost the military, this sucks, and goddamn, she waited for us to leave. It th- you start to develop these thoughts along with the characters. You really don't get that with Walls and Crimeria in the fourth game, because as soon as they finally start to develop into something, it it just ends. It ends suddenly. Well, the characters can't develop any further. And considering you fight Wells constantly throughout the game. I don't feel threatened by him. Like, I felt threatened by Jaeger. I felt threatened by Silveria. I felt threatened by Gregor. Because when they showed up, I'm like, this means something. Because, like I mentioned it before, like, the leader is showing up. It means something. Wells just constantly showing up. Okay, yeah, it's supposed to drive home the point that we're soulmates and we're bound to always fight each other. We're bound to be adversaries. But since I'm always fighting him, I don't really feel anything. And then the cutscene's start late in developing him they develop way too late and then at least with his whole tank platoon that you fight throughout the game it's like you think since i'm only fighting this guy like at this point in the game i'm only fighting this asshole shouldn't he run out of people by now like i'm constantly killing his people shouldn't he ran up run out by now like when you fight jaeger's platoon it's only like once or twice so it makes sense that they have a full force against you because i rarely take them down the rest is just you know empire goons no one really gives a shit about them they're whatever now, if that seemed kind of confusing, it's because I'm doing my best to try and put together this point of this botched story that's kind of all over the place. I'm trying to explain it. So I apologize if this seems a little confusing because it's, it's a difficult thing to comprehend on the outside, like not not playing through the game. It can be difficult to comprehend a little bit. Now, if you're not confused yet, I might confuse you now because we're going to get even crazier the first game pushed this idea of you know understanding people they're not tools to be used or abused both with like the dark sins and the valkyrie and all this kind of stuff they 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 handled it quite well because there was there was the dark sins and there was the the slave camp that you went through about a third of the way through the game when you took down gregor and it's you know it's a pretty emotional push and the characters develop through it and then when you take down, I hope I pronounce her name, Silveria, I've been saying that, I hope I pronounce her name, I'm terrible with names, I'm sure you all know that. When you take out Silveria, and you're understanding, you know, she was a human, and she was understanding her role as a person, not just a weapon, you start to think about that a little bit more. And then it ties back to Maximilian at the end, that he's always just pushing for power, and been pushing for power constantly. All of it ties back to him. It's, you know, about two or three different story threads going on there with him pushing into the capital of Gallia to take this giant spear that apparently exists there and then go back to the Empire and take over, it ties back to that concept. And it gets a little weird at the end. It kind of falls apart a little bit at the end, you know, when they're trying to wrap up the story. It's not that bad, though, because the majority of the game's hell held together pretty well. And combat-wise, it's it a little faulty, but story-wise, it made sense. Here in the fourth game, oh my god, how... like? Okay, so I, t- I talked about walls, and... It's just two of the, like, fucking six or seven people that belong in the Empire that are your villains of the game. I only talked about two of them so far. Keep that in mind. We talked about two of them. And they're really the only two that really matter in the end. Like, I haven't finished the game yet, but I really haven't seen anything of the other characters, the other villains, to really even give a shit. All right? So we have that whole mess going on. And then you have the mess. Like, it's actually really cool to see Wallace develop in the military. Like, he starts as just the commander of squad E and then when you join up with the navy he actually becomes head of like the guard on on the ship that you're on the Centurion and he's promoted to captain and then you can actually issue orders both through him to your squad and then for support from the Centurion in certain skirmishes it's it's actually really cool and it develops the story further as a character for him and the rest of the squad i like that the issue they had is with the ship came two other little problems one was again these are like major spoilers keeping up you know so keep that in mind was a little girl Angie who just randomly shows up all of a sudden and she's you know she's like a I don't know eight year old or something like that she's a very young girl she just shows up on the ship randomly after you pick up some uh, refugees and they're like wait maybe she was a refugee and then one of the characters Raz who we'll get to later he's all like no I I know she wasn't because I counted 21 on 21 off I did it personally so I don't know where she came from everyone's like Okay, we don't know who she is, but she, you know, she's very, you know, she's a kid. No one wants to just throw a kid off the boat in the middle of the winter. No one wants to get rid of the kid. So they take her in, and she becomes very helpful. And it's it's kind of like, it gives them something to fight for. Like, it develops into a trait for one of the characters, Riley, where she's like, you know, a reason to fight. Caring for this kid. It's nice. We then quickly find out that, oh, the reason why Angie suddenly showed up is because apparently she's part of an experimental program where she is also a Valkyrie. And, uh she powers the ship. She's the engine for the ship you're on now. The there's a backup engine that keeps the Centurion moving, but she's the main power source. Yeah. yeah. There's some sort of experiment going on and this is like the fruition of that experiment, but it's just kind of thrown in there like it's always hint, you know, it's hinted at by the captain because of course like the people who run the ship like the captain his first mate like, they know what's up. And there's scenes where they're talking about like, you know, well, we'll never make the capital unless, you know, we get our full power back. And they're like, well, we can't force it. We have to wait for her to come back or we have to wait for it to come back. You really talk, they hint at, like, there's something that has to return to the ship and willingly go there. We eventually find out that's Angie. And then when Angie realizes what she is because she had amnesia, she's like, okay, I know what I have to do. I'm going to return to the ship to power it. Yes. Now, it, there's supposed to be, like, an emotional push where Riley and some of the others Squatty discover that secret, and it's supposed to be this whole emotional thing, like, oh no, we lost Angie, but actually you didn't. She just... First off, she's still alive, and she's doing this for all of you to survive, so you shouldn't be mourning the loss. Like, you know, it, it pushes the idea of sacrifice, and like, why does a child have to sacrifice herself for the cause? The characters rationalize it, like, yeah, this has to happen, so that kind of works. But it's like... What is this logic? Like, the Valkyrie are always pushed, like, the few that are left are, can be developed as weapons and tools. That's always been pushed in this series. Nothing wrong with it. But it seems, it's like, kind of out of the field. We already have one Valkyrie that we're dealing with, and that's the Winter Witch. That's Cremaria. And in the first game, there was only two. Sylvaria, and then eventually Alicia was awakened as a Valkyrie. And that's because of this whole other scene that happened with her that almost killed her. really well-developed, here we're just suddenly, partway through the game, just thrown in, this kid just appears, and then, boom, she's gone. You know, after a few chapters, she awakens to her full potentially. It's it's thrown in there, and the reason why also it doesn't work is we have enough story threads going on, on top of this really just bullshit, nonsense twist that we're going to get to real soon. It happens in the middle of all that that the opening and the closing happen before anything else can really develop. In fact, the the closing of it, where she goes back into the reactor, that happens before your final fight with Walls and you take him out. So we, we're we still in the middle of developing him and then we get thrown this. So you see what I'm saying about too many story threads going on, that there's not enough chapters to make sense of it, there's not enough cutscenes to make sense of all of it and to deal with, like, and keep in mind, this whole thing with Angie happens shortly after Squad F is obliterated. So now we're dealing with, you know, Oh, hey, here's Angie. Let's feel better about this. We still have yet to mourn the loss of Squad F, by the way. Like that's still a thing, in case you forgot. Just saying. Now let's get to the real thing. That that this is what killed my mood, playing through the fourth game. Like I'm going to finish it, but it's taking me. I'm taking my sweet time getting through. Like when I got the first game, and I was in college. I played it nonstop and beat it as, like, it took me a while, but I beat it as soon as possible, and I then replayed it. Like, I loved it. This game, I still have yet to beat it, and it's been what, like, let me see, two weeks, maybe, something like that, since it uh came out. Let me see, I'm actually checking the calendar right now. Uh, about two weeks. It's been about two weeks since it came out. And, yeah, I know I work and everything, but it shouldn't take me this long to beat this game. So this is what killed my mood. This I was playing the game for a couple hours back-to-back, and then I hit a cutscene. Sorry, I was plugging something in the game for a couple hours back to back to back, and then I hit a cutscene that killed my mood. So there's a twist in the game, okay, and bear with me here. The twist is Wallace and a couple others, like Wallace, Raz, Kai, and a couple others, you know, when they join the military, they join the military as, like, you know, close friends. like They're childhood friends, and they join the military, so they go through the whole process of joining the Ranger Corps, which is an elite group of people etc etc you know it's, it's cool they have the problem that since in the first game these like welkin doesn't know Largo or rosie prior to the combat you know prior to the war the game takes time to then develop their backstories together because they're they're naturally like, naturally getting to know each other naturally talking it feels normal in this game since they already all knew each other and then riley who was a friend of theirs when they were really young, but then left, you know, Miles suddenly gives like, oh, this is how we all join the military, by the way. And then you get ham-fisted a shit ton of exposition to, you know, make up for lost times. So that's that's just a, a standard problem. I feel that's in any storytelling, whether it's like a movie, TV show, or video game, where the the main characters already know each other. So let's come up with some random reason that, oh, well, since this character doesn't know who they are, we can give you all the exposition all of a sudden. Okay, so that's happening. Now, here's where it gets confusing. Kai is a sniper in your squad, and she is female. When the backstories are going through, like you're starting to learn the backstory of Wallace and the others, like how they joined the Ranger Corps, Kai is a man. And it's hinted at before. There is a, a scene that's hinted at that got a lot of, if you've been following the news at all, got a little bit of flashback that this is sexual harassment because Raz grabs Kai's butt, but then Kai fucking destroys him and beats the shit out of him. So I think it's actually a hilarious scene of Kai standing up for herself. I think it's a great scene because of what it did. But at that point, Kai hints that, oh, well, I'm supposed to be a man, not a girl. So it's like, okay, so we already we already get this idea that Kai is not meant to be a woman. It's supposed to be a man. And then this backstory shows that Kai is a man. Okay, maybe they just had, like, a gender change thing happen? I can work with, like, that's actually kind of cool. I, I'm okay with that. I'd work with that. It'd be actually a really interesting thing to show while you're going, you know, it's kind of like with the Darksons, while you're going through war, you're dealing with oppression. And now with her being a trans person, we can now develop a story of, okay, we're going through war as a trans person. This could be really interesting. Okay, no, you want to know why Kai is like, I'm supposed to be a man? Well, apparently, while they're going through basic training, the male Kai... Went off on some secret mission, randomly comes back at one point. Like, his good friends, Ra- Raz and Wallace, who you know, they're squatty people, they they don't know where he went. He just shows up one day with a bullet wound in his leg, and they're all like, what the hell happened? He's like, oh, sorry, I can't explain anything. Top secret, you know, the standard bullshit that they use in storytelling to say, like, we'll tell you later is I can't tell the characters. And he's like, well, I you know, well, I can't just go AWOL, so uh, I have a plan. Like, okay, what's your plan? My sister's going to take my place. Here's the problem. His sister is, for lack of a better term, her figure is well defined as feminine. Okay? So it's not like in Mulan. Like Mulan had kind of a mas- muscular build, like a, a masculine build that she could pass as a man. Liana, who's the name of his sister, who then turns into Kai, and she cannot do like... She is, by all accounts, a woman. So there's our first problem. Okay, the second thing that comes up is, well, because she's supposed to be taking his place, she has to pretend to be a male Kai. That none of the uh, so none of the superiors who are making them go through this train to become rangers pick up that there's been a switch. Okay, well, what about the rest of Squad E? And the rest of Squad E, they find out, and they're like, okay, cool, whatever, we'll help you. Like, they're just suddenly on board with trying to make this very feminine-appearing woman appear male, and again, it's just like ham-fisted, and then the realizing on the cake and this whole weird twist is in the game in the beginning of the game, it's shown that she's a pro sniper. Like she's pushed as an expert sniper, and it shows. Like there are cutscenes with her sniping assholes here and there. It's, it's, a, it's phenomenal watching that. So then there's a mission, an actual mission, where you and Rez have to sneak around this training ground and shoot at these targets because. Suddenly, Kai can't hit any of these targets, and they want to make sure that the instructor doesn't catch on, that Deadeye Kai is not actually Kai, because Kai is known as a, as a male Kai, is known as a great sniper, so they have to pretend that female Kai is a great sniper. First off, the mission is stupid, the way it's executed, uh, with you just sneaking around and not being spotted by soldiers to so then shoot the targets. It's, a, it's just a random stealth mission for no reason. But why does it need to happen? Because female Kai is already presented as a pro-sniper. Oh, you want to know why she was doing a shit job at sniping? Well, you find out after the mission that her sights were off. Okay, if her sights were off and she's a pro-sniper, couldn't she tell that the sights were off? Like, Shouldn't she know to recalibrate the, the sights and be like, okay, now I'm good, I can do this? There was no point for that mission, because if she was this expert sniper that she's put out to be, she should know when the sights are off. Even if the rifle was, like, she states that this rifle is different than what I'm used to, she'd still be able to, like, figure that out, right? I think. Now, I'm going to go, this this storyline continues, like, this story thread continues, because you're still wondering, why did the brother leave? Well, eventually we find out that, well, we're going to call him for uh forsetti now cuz it turns out that Kai the brother left to join the empire and he goes by forsetti now now again i haven't beaten the game completely so i don't know everything but i'm going to take a pretty educated guess right now he has a belief that the Valkyrie are being abused as tools and that shouldn't be happening. So he joins the empire to this weird double agent thing cuz he knows the secret of the ships, the, the different uh, navy ships that you're on. He knows the secret that a child or Valkyrie is being used as a tool to power the ships. So you know, and I know this because cutscenes go through where he's he's the one in charge of the skirmishes against the navy. He's all like, let's disable the ships and take them over. Let's disable the ships and take them over. And at one point, one of the the ships gets blown up and the other one goes nuclear. Like, they self-destruct. And he's, like, in pain and, like, he's crying out, like, no, I couldn't save them. I wanted to save them, et cetera, et cetera. So we know that he's joined the Empire to try and capture Federation ships uh, to save them. And then he's going to use it against the Empire, I guess, to then shut down the research facility that they're using. I think is where they're going with this, but again, it's it's really convoluted. And then his sister is supposed to be a spy for him, and she's like relaying him information through a radio to say like where the navy is going, so he can keep up with them. Okay, let's let's like this is what I've seen up to this point in the game. So let's try and dissect this a little bit. Okay, I like the conclusion of it, where the brother's a traitor. And he's trying to do X, Y, and Z. That's not a bad story thread. It's the way it's executed. The, the beginning of it, when they first initiated, is what kills me. You do this whole convoluted plan of you were part of the military, but then you have to leave because you discovered something. Which, obviously, he probably got the bullet wound because he was trying to rescue the, the girl, possibly Angie, who was being hooked up to the ship. Maybe that's why he got the bullet wound and that's why he had to go AWOL and leave. Okay. Why do, how about we do this instead? You want to push the idea that, that Liana, his sister, who is now Kai, this is why I'm having a hard time explaining all this, is helping her brother by being a spy. So instead, what about this? Why, why not make it where the actual Kai, male Kai, never joined the military? Just hear me out. What if we made it where he never joined the military... And just he found out some secrets that the Federation had, and then bailed and went to the Empire. His sister, being a patriot, decided to join the military instead because her brother left. So she decided to take his place from the beginning. So everyone understands that this is Lyanna, this is Kai's sister. The super- you know their superiors know like the thing that like she is there. There's no I'm pretending to be my brother kind of thing. Okay, she just joins on her own will. And then her brother plants her as a, and then her brother gets in contact with her and plants her as a spy. Cause then what works there Kai, until later on in the game. When we first meet Kai, we'd meet him as Forsetti of the Empire. And then we'd wonder, why is Liana a spy? And then when we find out that, oh, they're siblings, and she's now coming to terms that she shouldn't be listening to her brother anymore, and she's her own independent character. That whole scene of, like, when that happens, that she, like, everyone's like, holy shit, you're alive, Kai? That would have hit us really hard, because we would have been like, holy shit, everyone knows who this guy is? And wait, that's why Lania was helping him? We suddenly get hit with this twist, and it it would work so powerfully, because we're like, holy shit, one of the main villains is our main characters. And now she's coming to terms with, because she was leaking information to him, thousands of people, because it was her fault. Now... She already goes through that, like, the emotions of that. It's very dragged out. And she goes through, like, five chapters of saying nothing. So it's very drawn out. But that does happen. It would have put more force on that because now we're actually seeing, you know, we are as confused as everyone else is as to why she's going through the terms of this. We're not dealing with this whole bullshit of, like, well, she shouldn't really be there because she's pretending to be a man. Like, the thing is, it goes back to this very convoluted of why she's there. And if we remove the first twist of her pretending to be a guy and them doing all these these wacky shenanigans to keep her, keep her from her cover being blown, and then now they're part of the Ranger Corps and they're doing their own thing, no one gives a shit anymore because, well, we don't have to worry about reporting to our superiors that we have a female. And we focus on the emotional moment because it is very emotional of her dealing with her guilt and saying, piss off, brother, I don't care for you anymore. And then everyone else is like, holy shit our friend's a traitor. It becomes a lot more impactful, and it also becomes impactful because Raz, who is a very cocky, arrogant douchebag, he's an enjoyable character for that reason, that he's very, like, he pretends he's invincible, and he always plays that card. It's enduring, but it's, it's entertaining at the same time seeing his character like this, and what makes it so interesting is the reason why he pushes all this is he has a tough time dealing with his emotions, and it's said like he's always like Wallace, who's a good friend of his, like yeah, he's always showing with his emotions, and then we suddenly find out that one reason why he struggles so much is he's in love with Lyanna, he's in love with Kai's sister since they were ever young, and then he finally after Kai is sorry Lyanna the sister as she's going through the terms of guilt of killing thousands and being a pawn for her brother who's a traitor raz comes up and he's like i don't know what you're doing right now i don't know why i want you to know that i'm here for you suddenly his character greatly develops and then she suddenly goes through like she actually just slaps him in the face and like bitch what and then she comes to terms of the two and she's like very similar she's like holy shit someone actually is like cares about me like genuinely cares about me and You know, he might not know everything that I'm doing as a spy, but he's accepting me. When Raz actually finds out everything, he's still like, I don't care. You know, everyone else still welcomes her in Squad E. They're they're still totally fine with her because she's been with them since the beginning. But Raz is still very supportive of her. And it lets that, it's an adorable relationship. Like, I love seeing the two of them together on screen. Even though it doesn't, like, they don't push the relationship too much. But there are two scenes. The first scene... Her kind of like denying him at first and saying, hey, I need to, time to think about this. And then the second scene when she actually comes to terms with it and hugs him and kisses him on the forehead and everything. And he's like, holy shit, she actually has feelings for me. It's it's wonderful to see and fight for something. And it's it's emotional and I love it and I love seeing the two of them together. Again, I'm still having – I'm having a hard time coping with it because I'm still dealing with what was the bullshit. Like we didn't need this bullshit twist at the beginning of her pretending to be a guy and everything. And then also, it distracts from all the other story elements because now we're just doing, we're intertwining so many different characters and so many like twists and turns that we're taking in too much. And then Belgar, who's another villain of the Empire, who's supposed to be leading this whole special organization that Forsetti, who is Kai, is a part of, we don't see much screen time of him until after we take out Walls and Crimeria. And it turns out that according to him, through being, like, this very bipolar scene of him talking to himself, where he watches one of the ships blow up, and he's, like, all, like, oh, Al, my good friend. He says, like, Al, my good friend a number of times. Well, it turns out he's talking about Albert Miller, who was the father of Riley Miller, one of the main characters, and Belgar killed him and blew up the factory that Albert ran. And then, you know, Riley's now orphaned, yada, 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 whatever. And now Belga treating him as a close friend, and then he's all like, wait, no, Albert can't be the greatest because I have to be the one that makes a greater invention, and I have to be the one that, you know, brings humanity to the next level or, you know, whatever. This just gets thrown in after Wells dies and ev- everything else has been coping with. Oh, apparently now everyone has a connection to everybody. Like, apparently everyone knows everyone. In the first game, Maximilian and the rest of the people in the Empire had no outside of, this is war and we're fighting. And it worked very well because they were able to develop as characters against each other. And we got to see the story develop around those relationships, of rivalry. But here, since everyone but Wells, again, Wells being the odd man out, which is why I relate to him, everyone else already knows each other pretty much. You know, Bellegarde knew Albert Miller, who was a follower of Riley, who was a good friend of Wallace and the others, and then their good friend Kai betrays them and goes to the Empire, so his sister comes in and fills in the role there. And now Kai, who's now for SETI, is working for Belgar, who again knew Albert Miller. It's like apparently everyone knows each other. So where do they get to develop as, you know, as a relationship of rivals? It doesn't develop any further. And we just keep getting ham-fisted this backstory exposition from twenty different viewpoints that none of them get to develop enough without something cutting in and blocking us off to what we were trying to take in. Because this this game, at times, plays out like an anime because it has long pauses between combats where you're seeing the characters interact. And it worked well for the first game, and I loved it because you got to see the characters grow. We're not seeing much way of character growth here because we're constantly switching between different viewpoints. And it cuts into those powerful moments. So going back to the entire moment when Squad F gets wiped out... Now that we've kind of come full circle, we can revisit that real quick. The cutscene that we watch Squad F get killed, we see the commander, Minerva, holding Crystal, who is her second command. She's holding her in her arms as Crystal's dying. And we have that whole heart-wrenching scene of Crystal being like, look... You know, I'm fine with this. We were all here to fight for you. and We're happy that you, you know, you lived and we'd give anything for you, yada, yada, yada. Minerva's like, oh my God, why? Why'd you all have to die? And she's crying out in pain. She's blaming Wallace for being late. Well, shows up. Well, gets blown up. They're on the ship. Done. Now, like I said, it's a very jarring cutscene that doesn't give us time to process the emotion before us of Crystal and Squad F dying. Okay, so maybe in the next chapter, we'll have time to go through those motions. No, 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 no. The cutscene after Crystal and Squad F gets obliterated, they then have an interlude or whatever they call it. Like there's a pause in the story, a mandatory pause for backstory stuff. And it's the backstory of why Liana, who is now female Kai, why female Kai is there. So we just go through this whole emotional roller coaster that we didn't have time to fully process yet. Thrown in now with this convoluted twist of a backstory that has no right in existing at all. And then when we're thrown back to the main story again, there was no cutscene of mourning the loss of Squad F. We're dealing with a lot of emotions, immediately thrown in with a just weird, backward-ass twist... And then back to the real thing that's just moving forward now that we're on Centurion and we're, we're heading for the Empire and we're trying to find out. You know, First it was Operation Northern Cross and now it's Operation Cygis and we're trying to now abandon Northern Cross and find out what the deal with Cygis is because Wallace and the rest of Squad F don't know what's going on with the Navy. So we're figuring that out. Okay? You follow? Cool. I spurred all that out because that was the only way I could, say, focus on it long enough to put all the pieces together. Now – I go back to the first game because I love the first game and the first game had a great pace of storytelling and only kept open two, maybe at max three different story arcs or little threads at a time that in the end came together neatly. The fourth game seems to be going everywhere. Like every character has some sort of impact on the story or some convoluted backstory that they're supposed to relate to each other but because there's so many and With so many, we don't have enough time to develop them thoroughly over time. It's, like, choppy. Like, the characters develop over time, yes, but not much. Because the characters already knew each other, which is our first problem. They already all knew each other, so there's very little room for development there. And then the only room for real development is Raz and Leona's love, which is being developed. Walls and Crimeria's love, which the second it becomes a thing, it ends. And then Riley, who blames uh, Wallace. For the death of their parents, because when she was trying to go into the fire, fa- the factory to save her parents, Wallace was the one who was pulling her away, saying, so like, "No, we can't go in there; we'll die." You know, they were little kids, so he was frightened. You know, when we learned that truth, the second we learned that truth, she's all like, "Okay, yeah, I forgive him," because you know, when he was a scaredy cat as a five year old kid, now he's a you know twenty three year old or whatever grown up, and he was able to lead a mission to uh, liberate this town. Okay, I forgive him. It just happened instantly. It's like, of course the guy's going to be more mature. He's, you know, 20 years older, so maturity is a thing, and he's a squad leader and tank commander. Maturity shows. But since Riley just immediately forgives him, we now go on to their love story and how those two have a thing for each other, which, again, is kind of cute because it, where Raz is very blunt with everything and shows his emotions, those two are a little more, like, kind of, like, timid around each other. Like, they're a little more passive and calm so it's a different development compared to Raz and Wallet, Walls, who are very similar with developing their love. It's kind of cute to see. It's like she forgived him instantly. When we suddenly learn about why she hates him, and we learn why everyone in Squad e is kind of like, okay, this is going to be a problem because Riley Miller doesn't like Claude Wallace. This might be a problem. And then like 10 minutes later, oh, no, she forgives him. We're cool. And and like, you know, Leanna asks, are you sure you forgive him? And she's like, no, yeah, I, I, like it, it was a long time ago, and he's shown that he's grown up and he's not scaredy Claude anymore. It happened so quick. Like, the chance of some development to happen just throws out the window. Because, well, now we have to move on to those two loving each other. And we have to move on to the fact that is actually a traitor. And we have to move on that Kai's actually a traitor and joined the Empire. And now, oh, we forgot about Wall, so let's make sure he comes back in. I, I'm going back to this idea of just, I don't know what's going on with this story. It goes so many different ways with so many different characters. And as soon as we develop something with a character, we lose them, which is why I identify with Walls so very well. One, I think he's a very hilarious character. As I started to learn more about him, I'm like, okay, Jaeger, who was a tank commander in the first game, is a cooler villain. I like him more than Walls. However, Klaus Walls is showing something. You know, he's charismatic, cocky, kind of goofy. And he has a camaraderie. Like, with Forsetti. the first scene you see with Forsetti, he's, like, showing some camaraderie. He's like, Forsetti's like, why are you calling me your buddy? He's like, look, man, we're fighting for the same cause. Like, you know, we're in the same unit. Whether you like it or not, we're comrades. So it's kind of like, this guy's kind of cool. Like, he's very accepting of people. Considering he's supposed to be a villain part of the Empire, he's very accepting of people. I like this guy. And then at one point, you know, the scene before, the fight before... You kill him, like right before that whole fight where he dies, you know, he's admitting he's kinda of like, you know, he's with his he's with the guy with a random Joe Blow who's in the, the same tank as him, like one of the guys that helped him drive the tank. He's all like, Hey man, I don't know what the fuck's going on with all of them. All I know is, listen, I got a mission. I'm taking care of Chimer Crimeria, so she doesn't lose her shit. You know, I love her, I'm gonna I'm gonna help take care of her. We're just gonna do what we gotta do. He admits to being like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with anything. And me as a player, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Like, why do we have so many twists and turns and th- curvature in this story? So I'm like, you know, I'm with you. All. I was like, I-, I don't know either. Fuck it, let's just do this. You know, when I I go through the cutscenes looking for the combat, because I'm looking forward to the combat because that I understand. And the combat's like I said, it's pretty cool with all the stuff they added. It can be really enjoyable various skirmishes and each skirmish they they like to add in like little tricks each skirmish like some uniqueness like when you first reach the snow you don't have your winter gear you move slower because you're freezing and then if a soldier goes down they'll bleed out quicker because of the fatigue from the snow you know there's a moment when you're fighting the last time you fight walls they're all like well the crystal sea is starting to shatter and fall apart from one of the ships going nuclear so there are areas of cracked ice that an explosion could destroy the ice and anyone standing on it plummets into the freezing cold water and is killed the, the combat's really cool so i get to that because it's straightforward and i understand it and then the story comes back and i'm kind of like eh like angie is no longer a part of the story so that's taken care of but like okay i guess she's a super weapon that's powering the ship like okay let's just work with that and okay leon is finally saying i'm no longer going to work for my okay that would have been a really cool story arc if we didn't have this whole bullshit of you pretending to be him in the first place that absolutely made no sense whatsoever like just Google it and, like, look at her figure and then look at Kai's figure, the, the actual Kai, the male Kai. And he'd be like, there's no way this should have ever worked, okay? No possible way. Ras falling in love with Lyanna. Okay, that's kind of adorable. Let's build off of that. You know, Riley regives Wallace suddenly, and now she's falling in love with him. That was really sudden, I guess. Okay. Oh, Wallace was starting to fall in love with Crimeria. And Crimeria, who... The few times – again, when I say few, I mean very few in the terms of of I mean, the cutscenes they have in this game. Very few, like five at most out of like a hundred. You know, we're seeing of Crimaria. She's mourning. She's all like you know, – she's been told time and time again that she's a failure as a tool and a weapon and no one cares about you. So she's just trying to be useful. And she actually has a very powerful scene where she's crying in her room and Walls comes to support her and she almost kills him because she's like, leave me alone. I don't care for you. Okay, let's see where that develops. That seems kind of cool. And now that she's accepting someone into her life who's there to support and care for her, oh, they're dead. Okay, so uh, now they're dead. Oh, I guess Belgar knew Albert Miller at the start, and Belgar at first was shown as just a really meticulous scientist, but now he's having a weird personality, con- like disorder complexity thing where he's cherishing and you know believing in Albert Miller. But then he says, no, I'm better than Albert Miller. I guess that's why they, he killed Albert Miller, because he wanted to be better than him, so he killed him and stole the research to then better himself and say that I'm the better scientist, I guess. And then we're still dealing with this whole Forsetti slash male Kai thing and his whole thing that's going on with the Empire, you see where I'm getting at I'm trying to figure everything out? And I'm trying to tie it all together? When the first game anything that happened with the militia, it was all tied to them developing as a team and fighting for the independence of Galia. And then anything beyond that, that dealt with the overarching story tied back to Maximilian's plan to become a super weapon and take over the empire. And Galia had a, had a secret weapon buried within it. There was a secret that no one knew about except for like two people that he caught wind of. He was trying to take that. And that was it like that. I'm done. Like that's, that's a synopsis of the first game. You know, it dealing with war, dealing with mourning the loss of loved ones, and growing up and becoming mature and adults and learning to work together and work through our problems and our quirks, like, you know, being a racist, hating people, stuff like that, coming together to fight for one cause. That's it. I, I gave the synopsis of the first game, quick and easy. I gave you all I gave you all the story you need to know. I gave you any twists. Which there were none, except for Alicia actually being a Valkyrie, which develops nicely with someone shooting her to awaken her potential. Because he believes that until she awakens her true potential, they have no chance against the Empire who has a Valkyrie. There you go. You, you got the only twist in the game. You got the overall gist of the story. Okay, the fourth one, I we've been talking for like, what, 50 minutes now? I'm trying to go through just a couple points of the fourth game. I mostly use this as a chance to kind of, like, not vent and rant about the fourth game, but to try and piece together where the game is faulting. I, I still believe that the game is enjoyable with the combat, and the few emotional scenes they have when they show up, as much as they're incredibly short-lived and are not given the justice they deserve, they're still powerful, and I still, like, I remember them, like, I... Even though it just happened, I will forever remember the scene of Walls holding Cremaria with the sun setting in the distance over the Crystal Sea. It is a beautiful scene, and it's a very heartwarming scene because these are two outcasts that are coming together and supporting each other. I'll always remember the scene where Lyanna was covering Raz, who once again ran off like an idiot to kill a bunch of Imperials... She chases after him to give him cover, covering fire as a sniper, and she's actually shot. That scene alone, I got PTSD to when Isara was shot and killed. I'm like, don't you tell me that she's going to die too now. I'll always, Even though that scene happened in the very beginning, I still remember it clearly. And there's an entire mission around you first dealing with your first encounter with Walls, who's pushing against you, trying to take your camp, which you have to defend, otherwise you lose the mission, and then trying to get to Raz in time to evac Liana and save her life. I will always remember that because of how powerful of a moment that was that holy shit, she might die. And after I saw it in the first game, snipers are kill take the kill shot in this game. So I know this is something fucking serious. Those moments are really powerful and make the fourth game good. And a majority of the missions, with some of the unique elements they put into it, are enjoyable and a slight puzzle of themselves trying to figure out what to do to be successful. Yet, that's not what made the game great. That's not what made the first game great. The the combat was enjoyable, yes, but the highlight was how the characters interacted and grew with each other. And in this game, there is very little character growth. And the character growth that is there is stuffed in with so much other character growth on top of the character growth of everyone in Squad E with the side stories that you can do if you want, which you should do because you get nice rewards from them. All that gets piled on top of each other within a convoluted story of so many fucking twists and turns, I'm losing sight of everything. And it's hard, like, you know, to pick up the controller and be like, let me complete this game because I'm not, like, I'm enjoying the combat, yes. And, you know, at this point, my favorite character, Wells, is now dead. The only other decent person there is is Raz. I'm, en- I'm enjoying his character, too. There's not much more for him to... Develop now, like he already confessed his love to Leana, which is a very great and powerful scene. You know, that's all we need for Raz. I'm like, you know, who am I hooked on now? I'm not really hooked on any character because I had a time to get to know any of these characters. You know, I I didn't get to develop with them in the first game. I got to develop with Welkin, Alicia, Isara when she was alive. I got to develop with Largo and especially Rosie. I developed with them as the game went through, and held on to that. I'm not getting a lot of that here. My recommendation for this game, beyond this fucking now hour-long rant I've been going on, if the game's on sale, pick it up. Especially if you played the first three games. If you're fan of the series, pick it up. Especially if it's on sale, pick it up and just play through it. I don't know. Me, I, I might be crazy. People are giving it good reviews. Some people are giving it bad reviews. You know, it's, that happens. Good and bad reviews get put up for games. Maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe I'm thinking too much on this. And in truth, the game is, is expertly made and it has a good story to it. Again, I have to beat the game fully to, to get all the plot points, but I think using an educated guess, based on what I've seen so far, I think I get all the plot points at this point. And they're not very hidden plot points either. Like it's, you know, when I first saw Leanna with the um, the walkie-talkie, I'm like, oh, she's talking to her brother. Like it was obvious because I, I, before she gets the walkie-talkie, you see a cutscene with Forsetti, and you see his face like, oh, hey, it's Kai, because, you know, you recognize his face. And then Leanna gets the walkie-talkie, like, oh, she's talking to her brother and being a spy. It's not a well-hidden twist, you know. We That's why when the scene happens that she's breaking bonds with him, it could have been more powerful if we didn't know that Forsetti actually was her brother. It was really obvious, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I might be thinking too much into this. And my rant at this point, because it has turned into a rant as much as I didn't want it to. It has turned into a rant. I, I could just be blowing hot air in my ass, and I'm crazy. Tell me what you think. If you've beaten the game or you're currently playing through the game and you listen to this, tell me. You know, If you're listening on YouTube, because I'm posting there now, put it in the comments. If you're listening on Anchor or anything else as a podcast, you know, shoot me a message. I got my email. I post it at the end of every episode. Tell me what you think, because I'm generally curious what do other people think of this game and of this whole story and character development they have going on and yeah am I just a crazy psycho person or do you agree with some points that I've been making I want to know I genuinely want to know all right this is going to end my my whole talk of this game I, I was trying to avoid speaking of this game because I didn't know where I'd want to go with it I'm happy I did though because it's a lot going on, and as much as I didn't play the second or third game, I'm a huge fan of the first game. I think it's a yeah, it's a very well-made game for storytelling and dealing with issues of war. So I had high hopes for the fourth game to pick up the mantle and keep going. It's a very 2018 game, okay? The one thing I didn't talk about, which is going to take me two seconds to talk about, on top of all these weird twists and turns going on, like, it's a very 2018 game. You know, every man's falling in love with a woman. Uh, there's a... It's sincere, considering it takes place as World War II era. Who the fuck said T and A like tits and ass at that time? And it's very like, well, us girls will go get tea and relax, and you, you silly boys will just enjoy your fight like that. That's actually a scene where Raz gets into a fight with some of the sailors, and then Ryan's like, "Oh, come on, Kai, let's just go up above deck and have some tea and relax, and let these boys just fight it out." Like, no, Riley, you're an officer. Get that shit under, or like you're in the military and you're technically a like an officer here. You have you're a higher rank than Raz. Get them to knock that shit off. It's supposed to be military, not 2018. That you know that's just a quick little thing I wanted to drop. There's other elements on in there. I'm not gonna touch them. It's it's not worth it. Tell me what you think. This is it for now. I don't know what I'm gonna be doing next week, but I assure you, it's going to be something. It's gonna be posted by eight o'clock p.m. Sunday. We're not gonna skip an episode. So for now, I want to take a deep breath. I want to go get ready. We're doing some Dungeons & Dragons tonight, meeting some friends. Maybe talk about D&D next week, because that's some great storytelling. Until next time, take care, everyone. Enjoy. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.